You know how you win the battle? Listen now. You and I have the opportunity to walk in victory, to claim the victory, to experience the victory that is already ours. Because I know I have something to offer. Go where you have never gone before. Keep moving through the pain. Keep moving forward. Do what you've never done before so you can be the woman you know yourself to be. I live my life playing to win. I'm after something. So much in you. We have the victory. Hey, Purpose Chasers, welcome to another episode of the Pray, Plan, Slay podcast. And this is a very special episode because I have with me one phenomenal woman with a amazing story to tell you. I can't wait for you to hear about her journey. But before we even get into it, I want you to take a listen to Dr. Jonetta McSwain's bio. There are few greater voices on the horrors of child sexual and physical abuse than Jonetta McSwain. She lived it and survived it. Born in Alabama to an alcoholic mother and absentee father, by the age of five, she had been repeatedly raped and beaten by her three uncles while in custody of her grandparents. The sexual and physical attacks on her and her sister Sonia continued throughout her childhood. Not surprisingly, Janetta headed down a similar destructive path. By 12, she was shoplifting. At 17, she dropped out of school, turning to selling drugs, clubbing, and promiscuity. Over the next decade, she gave birth to two sons, but continued her slide into an abyss from which there would be no apparent return. Janetta's self-destructive behavior turned for the worst when at age 27, she was arrested for shoplifting. As she fled the police, she left her seven-month-old baby and her seven-year-old son unattended. While sitting in jail, Janetta vowed to turn her life around. In 2002, at 32, she moved her family from Alabama to Georgia and enrolled at Kennesaw State University. Three years later, in 2006, she earned her bachelor's degree. Not yet fulfilled, in 2008, Janetta earned her master's degree in social work and in 2015, a doctorate in social work policy and administration both at Clark Atlanta University. That made her the first doctor in her family. Her astounding story attracted the attention of a Georgia public broadcasting producer. In 2008, her triumphant journey of overcoming brutal childhood sexual, physical, and emotional abuse and self-destruction was told in the Emmy-winning documentary, The Road Beyond Abuse. The following year, Janetta published her compelling autobiography, rising above the scars. She has since founded Breaking the Cycle, Beating the Odds to help women with backgrounds like hers. Over the past decade, Janetta has traveled the country and the world, sharing her story and directing workshops aimed at empowering disadvantaged women to take control of their lives. The one question Janetta always is asked when she tells her story is, how did you do it? As you'll soon hear, it's a question she's always happy to answer. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Janetta McSwain. 
Hey, Purpose Chasers, welcome to another episode of the Pray, Plan, Slave podcast. And I am deeply, deeply honored this week because I am not alone. I have with me Dr. Johnetta McSwain, and you have heard her phenomenal bio. And I can't wait to dive into her story. We are going to have a real talk, okay? We're keeping it 100% real. So before I even get started, because I'm ready to go into this interview, I'm so excited. But first, let me say welcome and hello to Dr. Jonetta. Welcome to the Pray, Plan, Slate podcast. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for having me. I am so excited as well. Thank you. Yes, Dr. Jonetta, you're, we've heard your amazing bio. And before we get into your, your story, I just want to start with this. Tell us a fun fact about you something that is not in your bio. Okay, well, one thing that you don't know about me, I, I think it's fun, is that I always wanted to be Wonder Woman. Oh, uh, I love it. Yeah, I always wanted to be Wonder Woman when I was a little girl. And one of the reasons why is because, you know, in, in 1970, it, you know, it wasn't a Tower Banks, you know, it was Linda Carter. And I would run to the TV on Saturdays or whatever day she came on and, you know, the little TV and sit on top of the big TV with, with the hanger in it. That's what I did. And uh, in my house, children could watch TV with some grownups. Remember, this was about 75, you know, I was, I was a five. And all I wanted to do was see... Wonder Woman. I want. I just want to see her turn around and spin, and uh, and the 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 not so fun fact to that, and I'm, I'm not gonna get into the deep story is, is that she saved my life. She's like a coping mechanism for me, um, mm. because of the abuse and everything that was happening to me. So I would put my grandmother's white sheet around my neck, and I. I put WW on a white sheet, and I would spin and spin and spin around in the front yard. And I, I would just imagine that I was in my planes, and so I would, I would just, just be Wonder Woman. And so, um, and three years ago, I met her live in person, and I had a chance to tell her that she was my Wonder Woman, and she's my Shiva. So that's a little fun fact to me. And at fifty years old, um, I am probably still the biggest Linda Carter Wonder Woman fan, and people all over the world mails me Wonder Woman. I just got a box last week with a Wonder Woman uh, tumbler, a Wonder Woman mask, and somebody yes. mailed it to me from another state who helped me speak. So I just had to share that little fun fact about me. So I'm a big girl kid when it comes to Wonder Woman. I love it. <laughs> and I love Wonder Woman too. And I, I like that you said that you wanted to be Wonder Woman when you were younger. It was a bit of a coping mechanism. But when you look at it now, you actually are a real life Wonder Woman with I all am. that you have been through and how you have made it through and how you're standing now and your story is going from the different ends of the earth. You are a real life Wonder Woman. Yes, I am. And I got a chance to meet her about two years ago. And this is quick. It's, I'm not going to take a lot of time. I got to check my production company. It was going to be doing the Janetta McSwain movie. And so my production company reached out to her people and uh, took me to Tennessee to this little small country town in Tennessee. It was a surprise. She told me it was a girl's night. And I'm like, what is in Tennessee? So I went, they blindfolded me, tried to blindfold me. 
And uh, as we was driving, I saw lights and it said, Linda Carter sold out. And and it's a YouTube section. It's on YouTube, Janetta Meets Her Shiro. Quick story is, I see her name in lights and I stop. And um, I, I just lost my breath. Um, wow. My stomach, I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. And I walked up to the window and uh, my production company said, we'd be just so sorry we was not able to get you, you know, a front, you know, a, a VIP ticket to see her. We wrote her, we told her you was her biggest fan. They said they get a lot of letters and they apologized. They saw anyway, it didn't matter because I was still speechless. And they said the only seat we got is like way up, make a long. At that very moment, here come a group of uh, women from this backstage and they said, where's Dr. Janetta McSwain? And I said, me, and they grabbed my hand and I said, you're going to be Lemons Carter VIP. You're going to sit in the front and you will get a chance. Wow. You know, so all, I'm, all I'm saying to you is I sat in the front and she's a singer, by the way. Yeah. And I, I watched her scene, right? And at the very end, she said, I'm no longer going to be your Wonder Woman. You're going to have a, a new Wonder Woman. And she she spin. She did her last spin, and I bawled out into tears. I couldn't stop crying. I still get emotional now that I'm even talking about it. And I was this. I was I was that little girl. I was that little five year old girl who was sitting in the front row, and and people was like, "Are you okay, ma'am? Are you okay?" And I said, "I'm not okay." And no one understood, no one knew that at that moment, I was that little girl that she had saved, you know what I mean? And so I couldn't stop crying. And at the very end, I was able to meet her and I had only a few seconds to say to her that she had saved my life. She had saved Mm -hmm. my life. And I grabbed her face without even thinking that security was like, ma'am, you can't touch her. But I had grabbed her face and I looked her in her eyes and I just said to her, thank you for saving a little girl's life, a little five-year-old girls who, who are, you know, laid on top and I couldn't breathe. And I, I said, my mother left me in the bushes and my uncles raped me and I dropped out of high school and I was self-destruct. And every time I saw you spin, you were spinning for me. And I just want you to know, I said to her, today I spin. I spin today for little girls and, and big girls. So I just, I know that was like, shouldn't have came now, but I just wanted, that was, that, that was my moment. That yeah. that was priceless for me to meet my hero. Yeah. And so now I get a chance to be someone else's. Yes. So wow. I'm all I, emotional now. <laughs> yes, no, no, no. That is it's not often that we can meet our heroes and our sheroes in real life, but the fact that you were able to just have that moment have that moment with your shiru is beautiful beautiful and like you said and now you can go on and and be the voice that's helping somebody else through whatever struggles they're facing right now so i am amazed i thank god that he that you were afforded that opportunity to be your shiru 
And just then when you were talking, you kind of dived into your story just a little bit. You, you mentioned, you touched on the fact that, you know, you were neglected and your mom left you and that you were raped as a child and you dropped out of high school. And now we see you as you are now, but I know that you've experienced a lot of trauma. How did you shift your mindset from the trauma mindset that you had when you were enduring such pain throughout your, your, your story to that conqueror mindset that I see in you now? Well, I think for, I, I was, I was getting ready to turn 30. It was my 30th birthday and I was in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, to what, to year 2000. I was getting ready for the club because that was the norm. That was my norm. Because you become a product of your environment, you know, and I was getting ready for the club and I was looking in the mirror and I was getting my outfit together. And, and at a moment, I, I, for me, happened to me, I looked at myself. I really looked in the mirror at myself. And I think it dawned on me that I was going to be 30 Know that I was 30 and that I had nothing. I, I mean, literally, I had nothing. I, I didn't have a job. I had, I, I mean, I would temp here and there. The man I had, well, you know, I was, one my, well, he was my man, but everybody else is, how, how about that? Um, I looked at the house. It was a Section 8 house. Um, I didn't have a bank account. I didn't have any education. I had two little boys, no baby daddies. Um, I had nothing. I had nothing. I didn't even have a dream. I didn't have a plan. And I just began to bow out into these gut-busting tears, you know, this this agony that, oh my goodness, I'm going to wake up at 40 like this, you know? And I, I was supposed to have something at 30, like I can't continue to go to the club. I can't continue to have my butt out, you know. And so I I looked, I just looked around the little house I had and I realized, oh my, oh my goodness, girl, you you know, you you're you're not as cute and, and, and fine as you think you are. But the moment happened when I realized that my three uncles had, you know, brutally molested, raped, beaten, choked me, my sister, my boy cousin, I always knew it, but it was a secret. And it's mm-hmm. still a secret today. I travel the globe doing this. And you'll be amazed that race, social, economic, it doesn't matter. This is still a secret. It's still not talked about. It's still covered up. It's still, it's still happening. And so um after I got through crying and feeling sorry for myself, you know, and boohooing, it's not bubbles everywhere, uh, and, and just looking outside and looking at the poverty, realizing that I was poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister at that time was on crack. Uh, and I think I think walking into the bedroom and seeing my little boys, seeing, seeing my little black boys, yeah. wondering, will they molest their would would they with this demonic spirit whatever's happening in, in in the men in my family 
But this should be passed down, you know, to my boys. And at that moment, at that moment, I made a decision to pack my house up and leave Alabama at that very moment um, with $10. I had $10. I had, I got the, it took me a year later to get all of my housing and everything straightened out. Uh, I was on Section A, uh, North of me to stay on Section A and move out of the state of Alabama. I had to have a voucher. I, had, I didn't have a voucher. I had a certificate. You can't move mm -hmm. out of state with a certificate. So um, I packed my house up. I drove to Atlanta twice in one night in the rain in 2002. I was 32. Um, I never looked back. I never looked back. I remember driving that big old truck. I remember hearing the furniture going from left to right, the rain falling on the windshield. I remember seeing the miles, 100 miles to Atlanta. And I remember looking in the rearview mirror, just thinking to myself, oh my God, I don't know where I'm going, but it has to be better than what I'm leaving. And that was the very moment that I decided to conquer all the trauma in, in, in my life. And even though I, I realized at that moment that I had been abused and all of the abuse that happened to me, it wasn't until I got into my master's program, and I'll tell you that with another question, and that was in 2006 that I really started to even talk about my abuse. But that was after I moved here and got my first degree and, and started seeking and asking God uh, what is it for me? What is my, you know, what is my purpose? What is my gift? And it wasn't until then I started tuning into my abuse. So I think that's what kind of got me to say something is wrong. I think, yeah. you know, we need to at least say, like I say in my workshops, I became self-aware. Yeah. You became self-aware and it's it's like when you're describing like a, a switch just went off and you said you know what the next 10 years of my life can't be like the last 10 or the last right. 30 of my life and you mentioned like that's when you you said to god you know something's basically got to give where am i going what is my purpose how were you able to maintain your faith after so many years of enduring mental and physical abuse and sexual trauma, how were you able to maintain your faith during that time? Well, like I grew up in the church. I, I really did. I had a woman pastor, very strict pastor, holy, sanctified, you know, we terrible dresses down to our ankles, you know, makeup, you know, some yeah. on your head, you know, go on, you know, <laughs> the whole nine yards, everything, you know, it's the devil. So I had this pastor who was such an amazing woman to me, even as a little girl, an amazing woman to me, um, who really uh, impacted me when it came to the Bible. We had to learn the books of the Bible. We went to Sunday school, we went to church three, four nights a week. You know, that was our life. So I want to say um, she got sick. I left this church around 19. I had my baby, I left the church. Uh, she got sick and she asked for me on her deathbed. And I didn't want to go to the hospital because I didn't want to be told, you know, you're a sinner and, you know, you're going to die and go to hell. Because 
So, and I had started my whole lifestyle of clubbing and men and tricking and you name it, I was doing it all, selling dope and this craziness. And before I can get to the hospital, I'm, she died. Wow. And I mourned her death because I didn't know what was it that God told her to tell me. The, the message got to me was, uh, we call her mother. Mother asked to see me. And I knew she asked to see me. It was a, it was a lot of children in the church, and everybody went with me, okay? Yeah. And so she came to me in a dream, and a vision. I saw her. Um, I saw my funeral. I was about 20 years old. I saw a girl that looks like me laying uh, on a uh, bed. Uh, the ambulance was put me in the ambulance. I saw everybody saying, you know, what happened to her? And I could see that it was me, but I never saw my face. I can mm-hmm. tell it was my hair, you know, my silhouette. And I remember um, my funeral. I saw the casket. I saw the hearse taking my funeral to the church. And I was in the street running. I was in the street running next to the ca- next to the hearse. And people was blowing at me. And I'm crying and asking God to save me. Don't let me, you know, die a sinner. God, give me another chance. And I I ran to the church. And as I ran and into the church, uh, they were taking my body up to the church. And I, and I saw my pastor. She was waiting on me. And she always wore a white robe and she called me John Ella. She could never say John Ella. She called me. And she said to me, I ran and I begged her forgiveness. I got on my knees on the altar and I begged, I'm sorry I didn't come to the hospital. Please save me, Jesus. And she said, John Ella, she said, run for your life. And that was what she wanted to tell me on her deathbed. So when I got to Atlanta at 32 years old, I knew then what that meant. See, God wasn't ready for me to, he wasn't ready for the devil to destroy me. He was not ready for the devil to take my life. He allowed me to live and be foolish all through that foolishness because she had prayed for me when I couldn't pray for myself. You know what I'm saying? She knew that that was something about me. So that was the the biggest thing that kept me because I, I, I sold drugs, but I never done drugs. You understand me? I watched people do drugs, but I never done drugs. There was things that I would never do because my pastor would always be there and say, you don't do that. So she, she saved me. God saved me in so many ways. Because she was always praying for me, even when she was gone, her spirit was always with me when I was jumping in those cars, you understand me, and turning these tricks and being in places that I could have lost my life. That woman prayed for Janetta. So that is one of the things that the devil couldn't take from me. He couldn't take that peace from me, that resiliency, that, that prayer warrior Peace. Another thing is when you're being abused and you're being raped and you got to fight for your life and you got to fight because your uncle is choking you because you watch your sister get choked until she go. And when you got a mother who's throwing knives and hatchets at you, you have to live, baby. You have to 
find a way to wake up every day. You, you, you have to find a way to, to, to be normal. So it takes strength and it takes tenacity before you know it. You just got to live. You, you know, um, I would wake up in the morning, get set in the closet just because I was, I was born just because, you know, I, my uncles and aunties, you know, they nobody loved me. So I'm just saying to say that, that coping, that, that Wonder Woman piece, <laughs> that church piece, that surviving the worst, the rape, that was the worst. The, you'll, ne- you'll never be now. You're ugly for my mother. You're a bitch. You're a hoe. I wish I would have killed you. I wish I would have flushed you down the commode. My mother put my head in the commode. That was the worst, baby. So surely... All that other little stuff that came could not even measure up to that piece. So it two things is gonna happen to you. You're either going to find a way to become numb, or you're gonna do like my sister, you're gonna go to the drugs or to promote something to deal with that to ease that pain. So uh I had a sorrow that told me two years ago, like quick. My new my sorrow, I'm a Zeta. She called me one day and she said, God chose you, Janetta, because he could trust you with pain. Wow. Isn't that something? He wow. he chose you from both. Because he can't trust everybody with pain. He couldn't trust Sonya because Sonya got so much pain. He chose you because he could trust you with transparency and pain. And that is why you overcame, and that is why you're the warrior. I hope all it makes sense. It 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 does, and the resilience that you've you've built in those hard years has continued to keep you and push you, and you just being open, and God can be able to trust you with your pain. And you were saying that you know, for such a long time, it was a secret. And even around the world right now, abuse still tends to be a secret. It tends to be in both white communities and black communities and all communities. It's just shoved under the rug. But you got to a point where you decided to let your light shine. How was that decision-making process? Not just for you to break free, but you saying, I am going to break free and I'm going to tell my story no matter what people have to think, how did you arrive at that point for yourself? Well, you believe this or not, I was being animated. I was being the fun of party, the person of the party, loud, out of control. That's always been me. <laughs> but uh, when I got to my master's program, I got to Kennesaw State. When I moved here, I was 33, I started my bachelor's at Kennesaw State. And, um, but when I got to my uh, master's degree at Clark Atlanta University. I met my professor and mentor, Dr. Susan Cossack. She was a white Jewish woman. And so she came up to me and said she read my mission statement. And she said, you have this amazing story. And I'm going to be honest with you. Where I'm from, we all have a story. Like, give us the know. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm looking at her like, you don't know me. You don't know me. You know, you don't know me. You could possibly know me. I'm looking at this middle-aged classy, educated, middle-class woman, and here you're talking to the ghetto chick from the hood, you couldn't possibly know my plight. You understand? Mm -hmm. 
And she said, you have a story that the world should hear. And I was like, what is she? I just couldn't figure out what was she talking about. So so some kind of way she and I became friends. Believe You know, I, she taught me. And um, she, I would walk in her room every now and then to sit down. Hey, Dr. Kozak. And I started sharing. She asked me one day, she said, how did you get here? And I, I didn't know that answer. Like, what did you, she said, how did you, I read you, how did you get from a felony, robbery, you know, jail, drug, how did you get here? Like, here, a black woman with a 10th grade education. Like, how did you get to Clark Atlanta University with a master's? And I didn't know. So make a long story short, she encouraged me to tell my story. She did, and she would say, I want you to write your story, and I would say no, because I hated writing. I had a hard time writing in my undergrad. I couldn't write. I couldn't I couldn't how to read, barely read on fifth grade level or write, so I was struggling with reading and writing, um, and so I kept saying no, and so finally one day she said, I want you to write your story, and I'm going to enter it into the, I'm going to submit it into the National Association Social Work Chapter in Georgia. And so you can propose, do a proposal, you can do a workshop. And I said, no, you know, because I'm speak, I speak ghetto, I don't speak Ebonic. So I was just shamed. I was shamed because I, <laughs> I, I couldn't write really well. I could read well. Um, I, I wasn't smart to me, but I wasn't smart. I was smart enough to know how to get to the master's program, but I wasn't smart. And I, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed of, of, of my, my Ebonic and, and who I was as a master's student. I was only one semester in. So uh, I came home and I, I didn't know what to write. There was a blank piece of paper and I didn't know how to write my story right because I didn't even know I had a story. Yeah. So in, in the middle of the night, I got up and I wrote the, the 12 step. Because what happened was there was no 12 step for me. You know, there's a 12 step of alcohol and gambling and sex, but I didn't know where I belonged. Where do women like me belong? So I wrote a 12 step called the Sep Awareness Monitor. I became Sep Aware at 30. I woke up, I looked in the mirror. You know, I just wrote step two, step three. And I called her in the middle of the night. I said, I got it. I got it. And she and I, she, she put her little, you know, her little professor, you know, on it. And she submitted it to the National Association of Social Work. And she called me one day and she said, guess what? Your proposal, you know, was accepted. And I was like, really? And she said, guess what? She said, you are sold out. Yes, no seats available. And I, so I did my first workshop. It was called the 12 Steps um, Step Awareness Model. And I presented and I just told my story step by step. Like, I got here. This is what happened. And um, that was 2007. Um, the um, audience was standing up, you know, standing ovation, tears in everybody's eyes. And here I am today in 2020. Um, and that's still the number one workshop that people all over the world request. I've been to what seven countries. Wow! Over fifty cities, over fifty, sixty stages. Made over a hundred thousand dollars. So uh, I have five models I've created, um, and that's how 
the story got out. And the second part of this story is the same professor picked the phone up and called Georgia Public Broadcasting. Mm. And she said, you got to do a documentary on Janetta McSwain. They said, we are doing a documentary on Oprah. You know, we ain't got time for little people like Janetta. And, and who is Janetta? <laughs> and she, she, she convinced them to come to the school to meet me. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. Well, they met me at Clark Atlanta. I met the producer and I walked out of there with my own contract for my documentary, which was The Road Beyond Abuse with Jane Fonda. In 2009, it came on TV. And 2010, I won an Emmy. Can you believe that? It's it's, it's, it's hard to believe, isn't it? But it's it's the truth. (laughs) Wow. I mean, out of your pain, purpose was birthed in you. Yes. And what I love is I like to refer to, and people refer to me as a destiny helper, but your professor was your destiny helper because she pushed you into your purpose. She She was my messy. She was my angel because when I, you you remember when I left um, at at Birmingham, I was so broken. I I didn't know who I was. (laughs) I didn't have a purpose to wake up until then. I didn't have no guidance. Nobody never loved me. My mother never loved me a day in my life. My mother never told me a day in my life that she loved me. My mother never hugged me a day in my life. So I didn't. I was a little girl who had bows and 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 Barbie dolls. You know, I got my first Barbie doll when I got married. You know, my first pair of skates when I when I got married. So, um. I didn't know what love was, but this lady, this woman would allow, allow me to sit in her office and I would share my story. She would just touch me and hug me. That was the first time I had a mother figure uh, in my life. I had love. And so she said, you have to tell your story. And that's really, and God told me, God said, that's her. I sent her to you. And mm-hmm. I remember talking to God like, no, she doesn't look like me, you know? Am I right? Because we don't we yeah. don't know how that look. You know, nobody we, you know, and so I said, but she doesn't look like me. You know, she doesn't know me. And I'm I'm going back and forth with, with God. But God was telling me on my journey, you know, this is this is why this happened. This is why this happened, you know. And so when I got on that stage, I said, Oh my God. You, my purpose was for me to be here today so that I can tell this story, but not only tell my story, but triumph. Because what I, I've been told is that a lot of people have stories, but a lot of us don't have the triumph piece. Mm. So, now it's not been easy. Don't get me wrong now. Don't, don't think it's easy getting in front of 5,000 people Telling all your ugly, it's it, it's <laughs> but if it if it saves one person, if if it's mm. it, it is amazing. I wish you could see the letters I get from all over the world. I mean, countries all over the world. The letters that I get from little girls who saying, "You are my Wonder Woman," and little girls who saying, "Can you just come see me? I, I could just meet you. Can I just touch you?" And it just, I read your story. I saw your documentary and it's just, I read your book 
and it just gives me life. It just, no matter how I'm feeling, no matter how dark it gets, no matter the clouds that come, no matter whatever happens in my life, every time I'm reminded of who I am, what is my purpose, and to get up every day and live and walk and eat and move, baby, this is the best job in the whole world. And I am so grateful and so humbled that God chose me to be able to trust me with pain. I really, really am. There's no regrets. That's no shame. That's no regrets. I can't even tell you that when I look at Janetta, that I see a queen walking in her own right. You know, walking in her truth. And nothing is better than being able to own. Am I right, my sister? Yeah. And in your own truth, baby. You hear me? Because I was the little girl who was told you would never be nothing. Do you hear me? You would be in a grave. You would be in jail or dead. You would never be nothing. When I got my third degree robbery degree, my felon, the probation officer told me, right, <laughs> you're done. You're 27, you're done. You could never get in a university where well, I've got in three. <laughs> yes. You can never be a doctor. Well, 2015, the first doctor in my family. So I, 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 I can't even, sometimes I look back and I don't even know how I did it myself. I'd be like, I don't know if I could go back to school. <laughs> but I think people look at me and they say, you know, uh, you're an amazing person. And I don't know. I'm learning how to accept success because when people say, how did you become so successful? I'm like, who's successful? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I think those are the, 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 the ways I kind of got to telling my story. It was Dr. Kozak who said, you should tell your story. But I, I never thought I would be a speaker. I never thought that I would be a social worker. Never. <laughs> Uh, that I would be a social worker, and I and now I'm a professor. I never thought I would teach, uh, so <laughs> so I, here I am. Um, this you know, just just doing that. I got a new book I'm writing now, but I'll get into that later. So I'm gonna stop right here and let you answer the ask the questions. Yes, yes, you have the way that God has set your story up and you said you have no regrets because everything has led you to this moment right now where you are walking in the fullness of who you are called to be. And not only was your documentary, um, not only did it win a, a Emmy award, but your story was also mentioned in John C. Maxwell's 15 invaluable laws of growth. And oh listeners, if you don't know, or if you haven't read that book, that book has sold more than 19 million copies globally. So Johnetta, who started off being neglected, yeah. her story has been read by 19 million people around the world. Yes. How when you found out that that, that <laughs> happened, when you found out your story was in his book, 
such a successful author that that's usually a hard Absolutely. I mean, he's a guru. Yes. Yes. How did that make you feel? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not gonna, how did you find out? You are not going to even believe it. You know how I found <laughs> Now, remember, I have these books as well. And so I started getting friend requests from people in Aruba, <laughs> Germany. I'm like, who, how do these people find me? So I would say, you know, how do you know me? And people would say, I didn't know you was real and I grew with you. You know, I read about you and John C. Maxwell. I was blown. I couldn't believe it. Somebody took a picture of the book and and believe it or not, it was not even in English. It was in another language. Wow. And so I, I just, I, so I went online and bought the book. I, I, and I, 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 I'm going to be honest with you. I, I was, I couldn't believe it. I say, I know you couldn't be talking about me because one of the things I talk about is I woke up and I looked in the mirror. So when I read it, I was just wanted to reach out to his people, his writers, send him a flowers. I, I, I was so grateful. I, I was I was honored that he would write about this little girl here. And I I can't tell you the friend request that I still receive today from John C. Maxwell's book. How many interviews I've done for um, people that's in the group or getting a certification, uh, how many speaking engagements that I've, I've, I've been asked to just come and speak to, I, and, and most of the time it's a surprise. So they'll ask me, they say, we, you know what, we're going to be on chapter three. Could you uh, zoom in? And sometimes I'll zoom in and they'll be shocked. Oh my God, it's, this is this Janelle Maxwell. And they don't know it's me. They just think that I'm somebody I guess they don't know that I'm Janetta McSwain, so they uh, they're beginning to talk about my chapter, and I am smiling because <laughs> and I say to them, "I'm Janetta," and it just uh, sometimes I was in Memphis, and I end up going to a John C. Maxwell's group because I happen to be in Memphis. They asked me to pop in because they were on my chapter. And it was just so many tears. They were in tears. They just couldn't believe that it was me. And so I, I think the me, most people that calls me on my phone, like I'm regular, like me and you, we're, I'm, I'm just regular. And most people call me and they don't think they're going to get me. They think they're going to get my secretary and assistants. And I say, this is Janetta. And they be like, oh my God, oh my God, this is her. And I'll be like, girl, calm down. What is up? So I I feel like I am special. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm not special, but I don't feel like, you know, that I'm a big deal, or maybe put it that way. But I have to say that John, the John C. Maxwell book was like, I, I don't know how to top that. Like, you know, I have my own book, Rising Above the Scars, and I've sold like 10,000 of my own book. So I wrote my book and I published it myself. So I get a chance to tell all the women out here and all these young girls, you know, um, you can do anything you want to do, right? You can do absolutely <laughs> anything you want to do. And what I love about that is you didn't even know that your name had gone no. global. 
I Somebody had no to idea. tell you. Somebody had to tell me. Listen, and that is in another language. language. <laughs> Wait a minute, from another country. Yes, and that <laughs> is the favor of God that your your story would go and your reputation would precede you, but it would precede you in such a good way. Listen, I can tell you all who are listening to this interview. When I reached out to Dr. Johnetta, I was just reaching out on a hope and a prayer. <laughs> I didn't think she'd actually respond to me. I show up. Believe it or not, if I, I show up. Um, uh, you know why? Not to cut you off. The reason why I love John C. Maxwell and I love you, I love... If I can be real, okay? We read about Oprah. We read... We never meet these people. If, if that's a possibility... I, I know how I felt when I met Linda Carter. Um... So if I can be a little smidget of sunshine, you know what I mean? If I can show up in Memphis or show up to a group of, then, then it's amazing. You know, I'm, I'm sharing a little sunshine. And I want people who read that book, it's 15 Invaluable Laws, I, I, I'm real. Because that's what people ask me. I, 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 I didn't know you were real. People don't know I'm real. I guess I'm easy to find. <laughs> you know, you Google me, I come up, you know, so. Um, but I love John C. Maxwell, and I will always be devoted to to, to that, that book and to those people that's in those groups. And so I'm always, I never say no. I've never said no to a John C. Maxwell's interview or an opportunity to become live, come in person. No, because... If, because if I can give that little, like I said, that little ray of sunshine, then that's my job to me. That's my job. Who am I if I don't give back? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he gave me 19 million people, so at least I can do. <laughs> yeah. At least I can do is like show up and say, thank you, John. I appreciate you. You know, but yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And as we were saying before we really started in the interview, this month, October, the month of October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And this is the last episode of October for the Pray, Plan, Slay podcast. And I know that I have listeners who are enduring so many different things in their lives. And some of them may be dealing with abuse either mental or physical or sexual, whatever type of abuse they're feeling with, and they're feeling helpless, and some of them may be feeling hopeless. What advice do you have for them in in their situation, That uh, advice that will help boost them out of their situation or at least help them through their situation? Well, I, I, I can say this, and this is, this is tough. Um, I truly believe that one of the powerful tools of uh, to fight against domestic is self-love. And I say that because a lot of times we stay. The stats used to be that we go back, what, four times? Now we go back seven times. And we stay because of the children. We stay because we don't have money. We stay because I was, I went with him when I was, we've been together since we've been 10, you know? We stay with him because what would people say? We stay with him because I hear it all. Trust me. But the number one reason why I hear from women, especially all over the world, is why do you stay? I love him. I just love him. And I always say, 
Well, why? What about loving you? What about loving you a little bit more than that? I'm going to share something with you that the world doesn't even know. Okay, this is this is exclusive for you. I just loved my husband three months ago, um, and um, I've been married about seven, sixteen, seventeen years. One of them, uh, and my husband about four years ago, five years ago, cheated on me. And I remember um, going through my stages of grief, I would say. I was going through, what's wrong with me? You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm this, and why did he that? And I, I was so hurt. I was angry. I wanted to cut him. <laughs> I, I just went through all of those things, but I had to stop and regroup. And then once I went back to that same mirror, that I bought when I moved here, that same mirror that's in my house right now, that I would look in and hug myself and tell myself every day I was beautiful, that same mirror that I wrote failure, it's not an option. 18 years ago, I had to go back to that same mirror and start over my sisters. I had to realize that my crown was tilted. My crown needed straightening up. I had to realize that I don't have to be strong all the time. You understand me? I had to realize that I was a superwoman, a wonder woman who had all of this power. I had to realize that there was thousands of people who believed in me, who need me, and I couldn't walk this walk and talk this talk when I was broken. But when I realized that this man was taking the very essence from me that I had fought for, you understand me? The very essence that God had given me to give everybody else. And I said, not another day. But that was me. And so I say it to say, because we're human and we allow shame. We allow shame to break us and to silence us. And we live with that. And we think we're going to change and they're going to change. And we think that we're this or we're that. Honey, I'm here to tell you. To, I'm here to tell you. My, I left my husband for three years. Three years. I took him back last year. He bought me a $220,000, 3005 bedroom home. I walked away from it three months ago. I left everything. Because once I saw a notification on his phone from the same woman three years ago, it's unacceptable. And you know what? I love that man. I love him. I think about him. I miss him. But I'm so grateful that I love me more. I'm so grateful that I understand that I'm human and that I can be hurt. I'm so grateful that I wake up every morning and realize I am valuable. And if you can't value me, shame on you. I'm going to be okay. That's what I want you to know. To all my ladies, all my women, me, who right now, right now, you, you're in that relationship right now. You don't want to go home or you're crying or you're shame or you're hurt or you're battling trauma, emotional, financial abuse. Sisters, listen to me. Spray your crown up, baby. Straighten it up. 
You're not the victim. You're not alone. There's resources. Sometimes you got to let go. Sometimes you can't hold on to your, 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 your car, your house. It means nothing if you're in a casket. Your children see you crying. Your children see you hurt. They see the black eyes. They see the makeup. Your coworkers, your neighbors, you're not hiding from anybody but yourself. I'm not saying that you don't love him because I know you do. But I just want you to love yourself a little bit more. I want you to get out. I want you to get help. Do it for your children because a lot of times we don't realize how our children are affected by domestic violence. We don't realize that what the, the, the role model that we show in our family, our children. And let me tell you something, okay? Listen to me very good. They don't change. If they hit you one time, they'll hit you again. One black eye is one black eye too many, right? So I just want to say that I've been in domestic violence. I've had a gun put in my head. I understand what it is. I'm 50 years old. Who wants to walk out of their first home and at 50 years old? Who, I live with my best friend. I'm in a new bedroom. I don't have my own house anymore. I don't have my big open 3,000 square feet space. I left everything. I have a little closet with about 15 dresses in it. I have to go back and forth to my storage because I have a lot of shoes and dresses. But let me just tell you this. I'm as good as good can be. And I just wanted to say <laughs> that life is not easy. I'm working on divorce papers right now because I refuse. I refuse. I refuse. I refuse to be devalued, undervalued, put down, emotionally hurt. I deprived. I'm not going to do it. And there's no one else. It's just an opportunity for you and I to get to know ourselves again, right? Fall in love with you. See, we, we fall in love. We fall in love with everybody but ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with you, right? There's nothing wrong with your hair. There's nothing wrong with your body. Your booty is big enough. There's nothing wrong with you. Am I right? There's nothing wrong with you, girl. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. It's something wrong with him. Stop trying to save him. Am I right? I'm just telling you, you are right. what I do. Listen, put your crown on. I, 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 you know, uh, what I like to do sometimes, my quick, is I have something called Simply Loving Me. And it was something that God gave me years, a few years ago when I was finding Janetta. It's called Simply Loving Me. And I do it now all over the world. But it was something God gave me personally. And I would just take one day a month. And take Janetta out. Try it. I would go to my movie by myself. I would go to my favorite restaurant, which is Longhorn, order me that big ribeye steak, ask for a table of two, and sit there with a table of two by myself, and everybody staring at me eating my steak. I would go and buy my favorite makeup, my favorite mag, my favorite shoes, whatever I wanted to do. I took me out so that I could learn how to love me. That's all I'm saying to you. Simply loving me. Try it. And now what I do is I get a gang of women twice a year. And we all, we can do this too. So we should do this. I go to different states. Yeah. And we all get home to, and we just put our pajamas on. 
and we just love and hug and cry and share. Because what I found out with us sisters, we don't ask for help. We don't love each other. We don't support each other. We, we just so, we just don't, we got to save our girls and our women. COVID is another thing that has domestic violence so high yeah. because of isolation. Domestic violence is all, divorce rate is triple. Yeah. Am I right? So yeah. I just want to say, you know, um, we can't change people. Am I right? But we can change yeah. ourselves. We yes, can change who, who we let in our lives. We can set healthy boundaries. <laughs> I can't tell you enough how people I meet all the time don't have boundaries. Everyone mm. needs boundaries in all of their relationships. So yes. I just wanted to, if I can just share, if I can just share a little bit of me to let you know that I just take one day at a time. Some days are hard, you know, being with somebody 18 years, some days are hard. Some days are easy. But at the end of the day, I take one day at a time. I don't allow my heart, you understand me, to mm-hmm. tell my brain <laughs> different things. I don't allow loneliness because we allow loneliness to, to put us in the hands of, of people that we shouldn't be. So if I can, if, if I say anything, um, tell somebody, am I right? Trust somebody, yeah. tell a coworker, right? Get your diary. Um, but first you gotta own it. First you gotta, you gotta accept it. You gotta, you gotta admit it. You gotta be aware that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and you deserve better. Am I right? You deserve to yeah. be loved. You deserve to be treated like the queen that you are. Why, why not? You know, and I think people be like, I don't want the children. Honey, you have you how many children I sit with that be like, I wish my mom would have left my dad because I got tired of him beating on her. So a lot of times you think you're saving the children and you're really hurting the entire family. Yeah. So that's hopefully I said something that that helps somebody out there. I, I really do. And I hope yeah. somebody get you know, I got a new book coming out, I'll tell y'all about that lady. It's called Yes You Can. And it's a book I've been writing for three years. I could never end the book because I could never be honest with myself about my marriage. And so now I can. And so it's a it's all the questions that people ask me all over the world and say they can't do. And I say, girl, yes, girl, yes, you can. So other than that, I um I haven't been speaking a lot. You know, it's been COVID. Uh, so I um I'm getting ready to start. I want to do a little cafe. Now, I want to do a ther- therapeutic center. I want to do a little cafe style where you come and you sit down and we have mimosas or tea or, and uh, we're able to share. I want a, a different kind of setting for us. Um, so I'm working on that. Open up, finding me, open up my own therapeutic cafe uh, for women and girls, especially for us. Um, uh, when you share, you give others permission to share. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, you do. And I hope you, if you are needing that advice, that you go back and you might need to listen to it a few times just so that you can muster up the courage to love yourself just a little bit more. Because like Dr. Jonetta said, you deserve better. And Dr. Dr. Jonetta, you have, you. I mean, you are an author. You have written Rise Above the Scars. You have your journal, and then, like you just told us, you're writing right now. 
Yes, you can. So tell us about your your books and tell us how mm-hmm. people can come and connect and work with you and support you and I also get your so. books. I know you can't see it, but you can see the book. Yeah. So here's the book. And um, well, the book is Rising Above the Scars. And most people order from Amazon, but I tell people all the time, if they want it signed, they would have to go to JanettaMcSwain.com and, and order it. That way I can ship it from my house. I try to keep out a hundred books at my house uh, for people who like, I, I got a book and I'm saying, honey, came from the warehouse. <laughs> so people want their book signed, believe it or not, they want their book signed. So now the book is amazing. Um, I haven't read it twice, but um, a lot of people say it's hard to read. I don't know. Maybe it is, but it's, uh, it's a little different from the documentary because the documentary was PBS. Okay, so you know that's public. Uh, so the book is a little bit more raw. Um, and uh, it's a good book. I think so. So you can go on my website, JanettaMcSwain.com, and get the book. And you can put it up for everybody. Um, yeah, definitely. And if they want me, and I can mail it to them. I used to mail out in a few days. Um, I have a workbook that most people buy the workbook. I don't have it in front of me. I have a workbook. It's the 12 Steps. And it's in a workbook form. A lot of times when I go out to conferences, people ask me, um, can you give me the 12 steps in the workbook? And, and so I develop a workbook where people can even write in it. It's wonderful. Like one of the steps is becoming self-aware you're not a victim. Uh, and so you can go in and you can write. I got little bullets you can write in. It's a great book. Um, so that's the 12-step workbook. Um, I have different, I have a girl program that I call, called Girl It Ain't Cute. It's really cute. Uh, one of the things I get around the world is about young girls, you know, struggling with se- sexual identity, bisexuality. Uh, so a lot of times the schools will call me in to help with these problems. So I do a lot of co- co- consultations uh, with Japan. I, I did a consultation with the CIA, CSI. So just different um, police, um, I actually have a social worker that's going to be speaking to my class as an FBI agent. Wow. And so I work with the FBI a little bit, you know, with different victim uh, assistants. So I just do a little, uh, you know what people want from these, not the PhD. It's, we need your story because a lot of times people can't report to my story. You know, they have the degrees, yeah. but they don't have the story. So yeah. a lot of times I'm kind of called in as the black girl, you know, <laughs> the black girl from the streets come in so yeah. she can break it down. Because sometimes back in them have it all wrong, girl. And I'd be like, uh-uh, let me, let me lay it out for y'all. So, yeah. you know, I, and, I am, and I'm okay with that because I, I feel like, that I'm grateful that I'm able to speak for the black woman, or speak for the black girl who's acting out. Am I right? Or speak for the black girl who's who's abused and nobody believes her, you know? Or you know, the, so so yeah, you know, Section Eight calls me in to. Uh, I have a program that I do with the Section Eight women to help them, you know, get out that mentality and get home. So whatever, <laughs> believe it or not. I am asked to do it all, and so, and I do, and I write these programs myself, um, and do the research myself, because that's not what you hire me for, you're not hiring me to come out of a book, you hire me to come from a personal place, mm-hmm. um, and so I, and I teach, you know, I'm an adjunct professor at Clark Atlanta University, 
Yes, I teach field, so my students get a chance to see me yes. <laughs> when I come out to their field. So other than that, I just had my first grandbaby. My son had his first grandbaby. And those two boys I told you about? Yes. One is 31. October the 1st, he turned 31. And one just turned 24, October the 7th. The 24 years on his last year at Kennesaw State, getting oh. his bachelor's. And the 31 has three, three, two bachelors and associate and married and just had his first baby. Aww. So when you, when you don't believe what people say, mm-hmm. that you can't start breaking generational cycles. Yes. We're the first three graduates in, our, in my family in five generations. Isn't that amazing? That it's is amazing. amazing. That really is, is amazing. Yeah. And I have really enjoyed this interview. And I want to thank say you. thank you again. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. Every time I share, I get empowered. It's like a boomerang, you know? Yes. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Pray, Plan, Slay podcast. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode. Be sure to like and subscribe. And also be sure to leave a comment, leave a review. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you liked from this episode, what you like from the show. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Pray, Plan, Slay Podcast, or you can follow me, your host, Shantae Sapphire, at Shantae Sapphire on Instagram. And the podcast is also on Facebook at PrayPlanSlay.com. We're on Twitter at Shantae Sapphire. All that information will be below in the show notes. Thanks again for joining us.